0: Well, just as uh, Noren passes around her uh, colouring kits to, to keep our kids occupied, I just want to say how good it is to be as a, as a people of God, as a church of God together. And I know I often say that, but it really is in these times something to be grateful for. Because we're not sure how much longer uh, the governments will allow us to stay together as a, as a church meeting in this building like this. And so, more now than ever, we're, we're appreciative of this time that we can enjoy together, the people of God coming together, singing together, worshipping, sharing around the Lord's table and uh, hearing the Word of God preached. And so I'm grateful to be here and uh, long may it continue, but uh, praise be to God who's in control uh, regardless of of what the future holds. Just as we come to the Scriptures, uh, shall we uh, bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father... Lord, we we just come before you, we just thank you so much that you are good and we rest in that character. We rest in the fact that no matter what happens in the world, no matter how crazy or chaotic it gets, that you are fundamentally, utterly, completely good and we praise your name for that. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word and the richness that it contains. We ask, Lord, that you Indeed, show us Christ from your Word. Help us to see Christ plainly, and help us to be inspired by Christ and motivated by Christ. Lord, we pray that as a result of seeing your Word this morning, that each and every one of us will have a deeper love for Christ. We thank you so much for Christ. We thank you for your Word. Give me the words to say this morning, the words that honor you and give all glory to Christ. Amen. Well today, I'm going to give you the story of the world in song. I myself am not going to sing it, there's much rejoicing, but uh, the song of Zechariah is a powerful song, is a rich song, is a deep song. In this song, which Steve read out to us earlier, we're going to go back in time. In this song, we're going to go forward in time, we're going to look at Jesus there is so much depth and richness to this song, I hope I can capture the essence of it as we enjoy it together. The song of Zechariah. But before we launch into it and, uh, and get into it, let's have some context because the manner in which this song was sung and the occasion is worth hearing as well. So, Zechariah was a priest of God Being a priest, that means he he does the sacrifices, he knows the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy very well, because he's required to make the sacrifices on behalf of the people. And he seems like quite a good priest. But then one day, something incredible happens to Zechariah. And some of the versions may have Zacharias, but same name. Something incredible happens to Zechariah. He's chosen by lot to go offer incense in the temple. And this is a big deal, because there's like... 20,000 priests or so, that's the estimates of the number of priests at the time, but only one at a time would be chosen, randomly, to offer incense in the temple. And it was Zechariah. Odds of 20,000 to one, and yet those odds are nothing to our God, who works masterfully behind the scenes. And so, it's a a once-in-a-lifetime event and he's going to the temple to offer incense. One thing not on his mind, his children, Zechariah is an old man, His wife Elizabeth is also very old, they would have loved to have had children but they were unable to and now advanced in years, uh, that is not their focus. But during this once-in-a-lifetime event for Zechariah, he's in the temple, another once-in-a-lifetime event happens to him, an angel of the Lord appears to him and this is quite a, a scary event, angels are quite terrifying, From my understanding, they're they're bright, supremely heavy, heavenly beings. They're not those little things you see put on top of Christmas trees. And so Zechariah is understandably terrified, greatly terrified at the sight of the angel. But the angel says to him, don't be afraid, your prayers have been heard, God is going to give you a son, and you are to name him John, and he will go on to prepare the way for the Messiah, in the spirit of Elijah." And this is the message that the angel gives to Zechariah while he's offering incense in the temple. Now, Zechariah, this is a lot to take in, and he responds with doubt. He responds with a lack of faith. He asks for a sign. And some advice for you, if you ever are confronted with an angel of the Lord, a supreme heavenly being, and he tells you something, don't doubt it. Don't ask for a sign. God's not in the habit of getting his uh, his messages mixed up and muddled when an angel is sent. An angel is the very word for messenger. So when an angel speaks, you can be sure that the words of the angel are the very words of God. And so doubting these words is the same as doubting God. Suffice to say, Zechariah sinned in this. And the angel responds by saying, you will be given a sign, you will be unable to speak, until the child is born. And, and so it was. God shut the mouth of Zechariah for nine months. He got out of the temple and he couldn't talk to the people outside. And that in itself was a big sign that something special was happening in the life of Zechariah. Well, as you can imagine, God said something. It happened. Elizabeth fell pregnant and uh, during the whole time of her pregnancy, Zechariah was unable to speak. So it's really a double blessing, she's she's pregnant and her husband can't even talk, so win-win. But the the nine months pass and then uh, the baby is born and eight days later, as is the custom, he goes to get circumcised, as the Jews do, and it's at the circumcision uh, ceremony, if you will, that we hear today's song, because the people that were there at the circumcision ceremony expected the baby to be called Zechariah, family tradition being very important. But Elizabeth says, no, the baby's going to be called John, obviously heeding the words of the angel. And they say, hang on, and so they run it by Zechariah, who who still can't talk, and Zechariah writes down, uh, yes, the baby will be called John. And that's the exact moment that we find this song. And so, this is what I would consider to be the most anticipated song that's ever been sung. From Zechariah's perspective, this is nine months in the coming. And as a As a priest, he would have known his Old Testament and as someone who's unable to speak, I am certain he was studying it harder than ever when he came out with this song. Because he sees Christ so clearly based on his understanding of the Old Testament in this song. Highly, highly anticipated. And the other reason it's highly anticipated is because the content of the song is all about the Messiah. It's all about the Christ. And the Messiah was the most highly anticipated person for the Jews. And so this is a song of great anticipation and that's the context that we find ourselves um, in as we look at this song today. Now in terms of the structure of the song, we're going to go, in terms of the world, all over the place and so I'm going to try and make this clear, hopefully you'll be able to follow along. So I need you to imagine a big blue oval and this is going to represent different periods in time and then there's going to be an oval in the middle and that's going to represent a certain period of time. So track with me here. We're going to have on the far left the past, the distant past, and on the far right, we're going to have the future. So this is just like a timeline. In the middle is going to be the present, but in the time of Zechariah. So the things that happen in the purple oval are going to be in the time of Zechariah, but we're also going to see things in the distant past and the distant future. Now, there's a common thread that's connecting all these different times. There's the big picture, there's the immediate picture, but the thread that carries through is we're going to see predictions. We're going to see predictions made in the distant past, and then we're going to see salvation. Salvation of the Messiah in the future. And again, we're going to see a prediction in the time of Zechariah, and we're going to see salvation in the time of Zechariah. Quite a lot to take in, but hopefully this chart will make it a bit easy for you whether we're going back in time, forward in time, staying where Zechariah is in time, we're going to see predictions of the Messiah, we're going to see salvation of the Messiah, the Messiah is going to be the clear theme of this song. So with that in mind, we'll we'll work our way through it as we go. We'll get into just the, the big picture and we'll start with the big picture. You see these in verses 67 through 74 and we're going to see the predictions of the Messiah, we're going to see the salvation of the Messiah. So without further ado, let's read a portion of it. I'm just going to read from verses 67 to 70. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, if you haven't already. And let's start by reading verses 67 to 70. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. These are the words of Zechariah. Zechariah is prophesying in the power of the Spirit, so we can take it that these words are true. Now, these are the words of a, a man, the man Zechariah, but they are inspired words. So everything that he says is inerrant and 100% God approved, if you will. And in verse 68 in a lot of senses, it's the key verse because it's, it's a summary of what this song is going to be about. Verse 68 reads, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. That is the song in a nutshell, it's a song of praise for God's salvation, a song of worshipping God for His redemption and so verse 68 gives us, I guess, the context, the theme of what this song is going to be about. But when you, you get to a song a really important question that we all ask ourselves when we listen to music is, what's the grammar like? And so we're going to ask that question now because I find it really interesting and when you think about it, it's quite intriguing. We're looking at the past tense. He has visited and redeemed and has raised up a horn of salvation. So Zechariah is speaking of the salvation as if it's past tense. Now at the time of Zechariah, um, the, the baby's just been born, John, which means Mary is still pregnant with Jesus at this time. So in that sense, Jesus the Messiah has come. The Messiah, God himself, has visited earth as Zechariah is speaking. He hasn't been born yet, but but he's there on earth. But there's this sense in which, has the redemption actually happened yet? I mean, Jesus hasn't even got out of the womb, and Zechariah is saying God has redeemed his people. Quite intriguing when you think about it, because we all know that, that Jesus had to die on the cross and, and say, it is finished, and then the work of redemption was complete. And so we have a really intriguing aspect of the song in that it's being sung in past tense, even though Jesus hasn't even got out of the womb yet to redeem his people. And this is how most interpreters take it, Zechariah is so confident that the Messiah being here will accomplish what he has set out to accomplish That he speaks about it in the past tense. He's so sure that God is going to do that which he said he will do, that it's as good as done. And so Zechariah speaking in the past tense is speaking with great faith. And I think this is tremendous for us today because this is the same man who nine months earlier couldn't even believe the words of the angel before him. And now he's boldly proclaiming, that what God has promised is as good as done. And so for those of you who are experiencing doubt here this morning, who are unsure, who are struggling to, to sense God's love, or see God at work in the world, or whatever those doubts may be, be encouraged by Zechariah. God worked on him and turned his doubt into strong faith, and he's willing and wanting to do the same thing with you. And with faith in God, you can remove those doubts. And so I find that tremendously encouraging. We'll keep reading. Uh, verse 69 He has raised up a horn of salvation, a phrase that stuck out to Steve earlier. A horn of salvation. Now, horn, when you read about it, particularly in the Old Testament, is a symbol of strength. If you show me a bull that doesn't have any horns, I will show you a very weak and pathetic bull. The horn is a symbol of strength. And when horn is used in conjunction with kingly language, for example, David being mentioned in this verse, it's also a symbol of kingship because in the Old Testament when the king was anointed, he was anointed out of a horn, like a ram's horn, filled with oil. And so the horn not only has the connotations of strength but the connotation of kingship. So what is Zechariah saying here? He's saying that God has raised up a strong king of salvation, a horn of salvation. And this strong king, clearly being the Messiah, being Jesus Christ. He also says, in the house of his servant David. And this is very important because this is going back to the Davidic covenant. This is going back to the covenant God made with David. The covenant God made with David, you can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God has a chat with David. He offers David many wonderful things in his mercy. We can't touch on all of them. All I can say is the the bare bones. The Davidic covenant, God says to David, David, you will always have a descendant on the throne and your kingdom will be established forever. David, you'll always have a descendant on the throne and your kingdom will be established forever. That's the Davidic covenant. And what we see is the Davidic covenant is actually a prediction of the Messiah. When God made that covenant with David, he was predicting the arrival of the Messiah. Now, how do I get that, you ask? Well, think about David. He was a king and he reigned and then he died and his son became king and he reigned and he died and his son became king and he reigned and he died. Fast forward, not a bunch of kings. And you get to King Zedekiah and he reigned... And then a foreign king came from Babylon, killed his sons, gouged out his eyes, put him in shackles and took him into captivity. And that's where the the line of David ends. There hadn't been a king on the throne in the line of David since that time. There still hasn't been a king on the throne in the line of David since that time. So the Davidic covenant, when God says, David, you'll always have a son on the throne and your kingdom will be established forever... That is unfulfilled, which means it is a prediction, it is a prediction of the Messiah, the horn of salvation, the strong king who will come and who will reign. And that is what is being referred to here by Zechariah. In the house of his servant David, he's saying it's going to be a descendant of David, this strong king, this Messiah. In verse 70, we read, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. I told you before that 2 Samuel 7 contains the Davidic covenant. There are other passages as well. In fact, I was reading someone who said there were 456 signs that had to be fulfilled by Jesus on his arrival. And I took him at his word and said, sure, that's right. I'm sure you can investigate them yourselves if you wish to. But 456 signs, there are lots of prophecies, many prophets... And they all say the same thing, the Messiah must come. And, among other things that he does, he will fulfill the Davidic covenant. So he was looking forward to that, giving great respect to the prophets as well he should. But we look at the prediction of the Messiah here in the Davidic covenant. Well, how does that point to the salvation of the Messiah? Read verse 71 with me, please. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Salvation. Salvation is a prominent theme in this song and I know that because the word for salvation in Greek is soteria and soteria appears three times in this song, verse 69, verse 71, verse 77. You should look at those verses and see the word salvation. The word soteria, the word salvation, only appears one other time in the whole book of Luke and zero times in any of the other Gospels. So, of all the places in all the Gospels that you can find salvation being the most prominent theme, it's here in the Song of Zechariah. The salvation of the Messiah is highlighted. So, what is this salvation? Because normally when a preacher talks about salvation in a church... Your instincts in your mind is to jump straight to the thing that we celebrate around the Lord's table, Jesus' death, bringing about the offer of forgiveness of sins, regeneration and eternal life with Him. And you can look at verse 71 in that way. It is possible to say, we should be saved from our enemies and say, we needed saving from the enemies of sin and death. You can look at verse 71 and say, let's be delivered from the hand of all who hate us and say when we're saved by grace through faith, we're delivered from the hand of Satan. You can do that, but I think a less allegorical interpretation renders a better understanding of what Zechariah is saying. Because Zechariah has just mentioned the Davidic covenant, the Messiah who's going to come in the line of David. But think about it, if the Messiah is going to come and reign as a king, Israel has to be a self-ruling entity. Israel has to have a kingdom, so they can't be oppressed by their enemies and in a situation where they are not in control. And so, in order for the Davidic covenant to be fulfilled, there has to be a literal deliverance from enemies. And this is where we look at our our big blue oval, and we see that the salvation of the Messiah referred to here is a literal salvation from enemies, salvation from the enemies of Israel. And this is going to happen at the millennial reign. So in the future, future to Zechariah, future even to us, Jesus is going to come and He's going to do a lot of things. Let's just touch on some of them. He is going to wipe out all of Israel's enemies. He is going to utterly and completely destroy them so that they will be rescued, so that they will be saved. Having done that, He will usher in a kingdom of a 1,000-year reign where He will rule as king. And he will be the one ruling. And then, after that thousand year reign, in come the new heavens and the new earth. But Jesus continues to reign. That's the constant. Bottom line Jesus comes, Jesus saves them from their enemies, Jesus rules forever and ever. And when Jesus is ruling forever and ever, he is fulfilling that Davidic covenant. He is the one sitting on the throne so that David's line is established forever. And so that prediction that was made in the past with that Davidic covenant is fulfilled by the salvation of the Messiah being rescued from enemies and establishing the Millennial Kingdom. That's what's being referred to here and that's how we have to look at verse 71. Save from enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And it'll be a joyous time for Israel. There'll be no enemies, there'll be no anti-Semitism... Jerusalem will be the economic center of the world. Israel will have a place of preeminence. But most importantly, Jesus Christ himself will be ruling. What a great time that will be. We'll continue on because there are more big picture predictions to look at. Let's look at verse 72 and 73. Verse 72 to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. And just when you thought you had to get your mind around one covenant, in comes another one, the Abrahamic Covenant. And again, this is being referenced as a prediction of the Messiah. Abraham and the fathers, being Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, were all given a covenant by God. It says here that God showed mercy to our fathers. Just read the account of Genesis and see God intervening and giving them land and providing a son and providing a wife and providing protection he gave so many mercies to the fathers. But the greatest mercy is this covenant. So you can read about it in Genesis, Genesis 12:15 or 17. But the Abrahamic covenant, again, I can't get into all of it. It has a lot of aspects. It has a lot of facets. I'm only going to focus on one because that's the one that fits this song. The aspect of the Abrahamic covenant I want us to be aware of is that God said to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. All nations will be blessed through you. And then God said to Isaac, all nations will be blessed through you and He said the same thing to Jacob, all nations will be blessed through you. Now, when He said that, that's a prediction of the Messiah. Or how, you ask? Think back to Abraham and his life. Now, Abraham lived a pretty good life and he was a blessing to lots of people but he was not a blessing to all nations. His scope didn't reach to the entire earth. In fact, There were some Egyptians who were pretty ticked off at some of his antics. And so this blessing that reaches the whole world is only going to be accomplished by the Messiah. He's the one that's going to be the blessing to the whole world and the fulfilment of the Abrahamic covenant. Another thing I really want to show with you from verses 72 and 73 is some of the wordplay that you kind of have to look at the original Greek to understand. But I was looking it up. And there's three key words in verses 72 and 73. And they are the words, mercy, remember, and oath. Mercy, remember, and oath. You can see them written there. And these are important because in a nutshell, they summarise what God is doing. In His mercy, He's remembering His oath to Abraham. So that's a summary of these verses. But mercy, remember, and oath are also really, really cool because mercy... Is the meaning of the name John, remember is the meaning of the name Zechariah and oath is the meaning of the name Elizabeth. So, how's that for wordplay? So, what Zechariah is doing here is he's providing a bit of a link between his situation and the situation of Abraham and you may have actually noticed the parallels. Abraham and Sarah were really old but they got a promised child and had a miracle son. Same thing with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were really old and had a miracle son. And in both cases, that son was going to point to Jesus. And so fantastic wordplay in these these, uh, verses, in this song, this Spirit-inspired song that I thought you'd like to be aware of. But that's the prediction of the Messiah. We have to go back into the future to look at the fulfillment of it, to look at the salvation being provided. Read with me, please, uh, verses We'll read verse 72 to 75 to get this salvation. From verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Now there's a phrase there that I'm sure looked familiar to you, That delivering from the hand of enemies is very similar to what he said after the Davidic Covenant, being saved from the hand of enemies and all who hate us. And so, given it's a similar structure and similar words, we're talking about the same event. The time in the future, future to Zechariah, where the Messiah will come and wipe out Israel's enemies and after doing that, he establishes his millennial reign and reigns for a thousand years. That's the salvation of the Messiah being referred to. From the prediction in the past, it's the fulfillment even in the future to Zechariah. But there's another bit added here that wasn't referred to. After the Davidic covenant, it mentions that there'll be salvation from enemies. After the Abrahamic covenant, it mentions their salvation from enemies for a purpose. And I'm sure you saw that at the end of verse 74 and verse 75. That we might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all our days. These are talking about the idyllic worship conditions. When Christ is reigning, there's not going to be a world system to distract people from God. Jesus himself will be the world system. And so, it'll be so much easier to be holy, to be righteous, and there'll be nothing to fear, because there'll be no enemies to oppose you. And so this is the ultimate fulfilment of the Abrahamic covenant when all nations are able to be blessed through Jesus Christ the Messiah, Jesus who came as a descendant of Abraham. So again, we're looking at a future fulfilment in this salvation, salvation from enemies, bringing in the millennial kingdom and the eternal reign of Christ, idyllic worship conditions. So hopefully you've been tracking with me so far, Are you okay? We've gone into the past and into the future. I haven't scrambled your brains too much yet. If I have, let's try and keep it simple then. We'll move on to the immediate picture. So in the rest of the song, what we're looking at is going to happen in the lifetime of Zechariah. So, a little bit easier to understand. This is all going to happen uh, in his lifetime. And you may have noticed uh, when it was read out earlier, this song, that there is a change in verse 76. He's talking originally about the nation of Israel and now he turns his attention to his son, John. So why don't I read verses 76 to 79 for you, and then we'll start looking at the immediate picture. Verse 76, read along please. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In verse 76, it isn't particularly hard to see that he is talking about his son, John, because he's talking to, literally to, his child. And so you can imagine Zechariah holding his baby boy, finally able to talk, brimming with excitement, as he recognises not only does he have a son, which is tremendous in itself, but this son is going to be the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. And what enthusiasm and exuberance he would have sung this with. When we look at verse 76, John the Baptist is the one who predicts the Messiah. Just like the covenants of old were actually predictions of the Messiah, so too, in the time of Zechariah, in the immediate picture, is John the Baptist going to predict the Messiah. And here, Zechariah is paying heed to the words of the angel. The angel told him that John was going to, in the spirit of Elijah, prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah recognises that now, and sings about that now. And you, child, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. Prophet, prophet of the Most High, a prophet is a very privileged position. I mean, Zechariah was a priest, there were about 20,000 priests, but still a privileged position to be a priest, offering sacrifices on behalf of the people before God. But a prophet was someone who spoke the very words of God. And a prophet is particularly significant at this point in history. Because I know you can turn the page from Malachi to Matthew, but in that turn of a page is 400 years of history. And while significant historical things happened in that time, no word from God happened in that time. Malachi was the last prophet, he spoke the words of God, and then Until the time of Zechariah, when John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for Messiah. 400 years of silence from God. And what's also cool about this verse is the allusions made to Malachi. The last prophet that Israel had said these words, and compare them to verse 76. Malachi 3 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Or Malachi 4 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so the last prophet that Israel had, Malachi, 400 years earlier, predicted the Messiah is going to come, but there's going to be someone who comes just before him, someone to prepare the way. And so generation after generation of Jewish person would have, of course, been looking forward to the promised Messiah, but recognising there's going to be someone who ushers him in. And so they would be looking for that preparer as well. And now here's Zechariah holding his son and realizing that person is here. John the Baptist, who's not only going to predict the Messiah, but prepare the way for the Messiah, is here. What a privilege. And then we get into verses 77 through 79, and we see the salvation of the Messiah. And I'm sure you can look at verse 77 It says, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. So here, we're talking about salvation by the forgiveness of sins. And it's very poignant, and I hope I've made it clear, that this salvation is different to the previous mentions of salvation. We saw the reference to David, salvation from enemies. We saw the reference to Abraham, salvation from enemies. But now, in the immediate picture, after John... This is salvation by the forgiveness of sins. What a beautiful picture this is, that this man who had no New Testament to go on, is able to give us. That God brings about salvation by the forgiveness of sins. It's pretty easy to tell you need saving if you're surrounded by enemies. You need to be saved from those enemies. But it's something else, something inspired by God to recognise that you have a sin problem, a separation from God problem and you need those sins forgiven. And to call that salvation is nothing short of spirit-inspired. And that's what Zechariah's doing here. He says to give knowledge of salvation. Now, that knowledge is an intimate knowledge, an experiential knowledge. More or less, he's saying to give his people salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from sin. Salvation from the penalty of sin, and salvation in the sense that Where there was sin, there now can be a relationship with Jesus. The salvation that we remember when we gather around the Lord's table. The salvation that's to inspire us every day. And this salvation was accomplished in Jesus' first coming. You see, Jesus came right after John the Baptist. And Jesus lived the perfect life and he died. And upon his death, he bore the sins of the whole world on his shoulders so that now anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and will be able to be forgiven for their sins. And this is the salvation that gets me super excited. Um, And I know that we're mostly Gentiles here. I'm a Gentile. Chad's definitely a Gentile. He's always telling us how much he loves pork. But um, this is the salvation that's available to us. I mean, we can be pretty happy for Israel that they're going to be delivered from their enemies and given an important place in in a future kingdom... But how good that the salvation by the forgiveness of sins that was available to the Jews is now available to us as well. And so we rejoice, brothers and sisters, at this salvation, which is truly incredible. Salvation by the forgiveness of sins accomplished by Jesus in that time of Zechariah. Just some of the key words in the remainder of this song we'll go over. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. And this is too beautiful a picture to to simply just pass over, because if I described a person as tender, perhaps what would come to your mind is a mother caring for a distressed child, and she's tenderly looking after it. But this is the picture given of Jesus, this is the picture given of God. God, maker of all things, the one who made Jesus rise from the dead, is also characterised, not just by mercy, but by that tenderness, that tender-hearted mercy And what a good view and healthy view of God to have. To quote Spurgeon, he said, mercy is music, but tender mercy is the most exquisite form of music. And it heals a broken heart. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer and friend. Praise God for His tender mercy. And we read on in verse 78, it says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And this is not just an amazing metaphor for the coming of the Messiah, because sunrises are beautiful and Jesus' arrival is beautiful and sunrises bring light and and Jesus' arrival brings light. But again, this is referred to in Malachi, the prophet from 400 years ago. Malachi 4.2, the prophet said, "'The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings.'" Sun there being S-U-N. "'The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings.'" And we see that here, that Jesus is that sunrise, that one who comes and brings healing, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, another beautiful picture, basically saying that Jesus is light, Jesus is the light of the world, imagery that John is going to use over and over again in his writings. But Jesus is truly the one who goes to people who have nothing but utter darkness inside. Nothing but sin, a knowledge of sin and the ability to sin. And He gives them light. He gives them Himself. He changes their heart and He forgives their sin. Beautiful language being used here. At the end of verse 79, the guidance of the feet into the way of peace. We're not talking about peace from war or peace from enemies, we're talking about that inner peace, that eternal peace, which is inside of you if you know Jesus. The peace that passes all understanding, the peace that God is in control, that your sins are forgiven, and that Jesus has a relationship with you. That's the peace being referred to there. And So in wrapping up, let's try and put all the pieces together of this song, looking again at this uh, picture I showed you at the start. And so there's a lot going on. We have the distant past, we have those predictions of the Messiah made through God's covenant with David, made through God's covenant with Abraham and those are fulfilled in the future, future to Zechariah, future to us. The salvation of the Messiah will involve salvation from Israel's enemies and then in will come the Millennial Kingdom. Jesus will reign and then He'll reign forever and ever once those thousand years are up as well inside of that, in the time of Zechariah, you have the immediate picture. John the Baptist gave the prediction of the Messiah and he predicted a salvation that required repentance. And then Jesus comes and he fulfills that, bringing about the salvation by the forgiveness of sins, the salvation that we all can enjoy today. And so as we go from this place, I guess I'd like to have made clear to you that the beauty of this salvation, don't take it for granted don't think, it, think of it as nothing. See all the things that had to come into place in past, future, present, and even today to make this salvation possible. Recognize it for the great thing that it is. Be encouraged by the example of Zechariah. He who doubted is now consumed by faith because of the salvation of God. He who sinned against God is now able to speak of the tender mercies of God. And so I encourage you, draw near to God, be exhilarated and thrilled by His salvation, and just praise Him for all the many things that He's been able to bring about, and for the salvation that's able to capture our souls. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we... Just thank you so much for your salvation. We thank you for this song. So much in it, Lord, and we've, we've looked at the main points, but we just thank you that you brought about salvation by the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for that salvation, God, and help us to hold you in high esteem, to hold Christ in high esteem as we ought. And Lord, as we recognize how the darkness that we were in and the light that you've brought about, help us to live according to that light and be ever grateful to you. your goodness. And we just praise your name once more this morning. Keep us safe this week, I pray. Amen. Thank you.